1: You are listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our san antonio or corpus christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162 if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through apple podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So,
0: Jeff, take it away. Okay, In the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 1,504 points, or 4.8%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 226 points, or 5.8%. And the NASDAQ last week was down 542 points, or 4.8%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 17.7%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 22.9%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 31%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Although our listeners could
1: probably do without any of those numbers the year to date or this past week. And this past week, although we've been talking about it on this program for several weeks now, that the market was behaving as if it was in a bear market. This past week, the S&P 500 officially crossed what is considered a technical bear market by being down more than 20% from its 52-week high.
2: So it smelled it looked it walked like a bear, it smelled like a bear bear, and now it's a bear. It's not a flash bear, it's a real bear,
0: yeah, I think I called it a big, hairy, smelly bear previously, and it's it's <clears> definitely <throat> here the the now the question is and the the debate amongst everyone involved in the investment management industry is how. Long does the bear market last? Are we near the end, or is this the beginning? Uh, there's all kinds of handicapping going on. there's all kinds of predictions being thrown out there. There's all kinds of folks saying that it's a generational low and you've gotta you know get your money in now if you have a five year you know time horizon, which I agree if if you have a five year time horizon, sure this is. Not a bad time uh, to be putting some money in. Uh, Although we would recommend to be doing it
1: through the method of dollar cost averaging. That's right. Where you're putting in a percentage each and every week. Because I think we're all in agreement that the the low is most likely not in. I would say that we're definitely closer to it as of the close Friday than we were several months ago. But when you look at the history of bear markets going back post-World War II, the average bear market has a 32.1% decline. So if the S&P 500 is down 22.9% year-to-date, we still have close to 10% to go just for an average bear market post-World War II. Well, right. we're not calling you, the
2: bottom on that. Just for clarification, that's just yeah. Well, just we're
1: not speaking. calling we're not calling the bottom. But what I found interesting, and to give Jeff props, and he's been talking about this going back months, is where he was talking about his base case, or what we would call the kind of great reset, is to see the S and P 500 retrace back to Valentine's Day 2020 before the COVID correction started where the S&P 500 rounded to a nice round number was right at 3,400. And as the months and weeks have gone by, we've heard more and more financial talking heads on CNBC start to use that 3,400 as a base case. And, Jeff, you're the first person I heard talk about that. So I want to give props to you on that, which is still currently our base case
0: at Davidson Capital Management. And... I would say if if we, if we get to that, but we might get to that point in the next two weeks. You know, we, the week just passed, the the S and P down, uh, 5.8%, 226 points. We are what, 374 points away. Uh, pardon me, 274 points away from getting to 3,400 on the S and P. Uh, so. Based on the last two weeks, I mean that could be a week's worth of trading, and next week we only have four days of trading because of the Monday holiday for the markets. Uh, you have to tell me, you know what are the what are the positive catalysts to not say that this or or to say that this was a bot what what is it out there right now? That would tell me, yeah, that was. I think we could call that a bottom. I don't see those signs at this point. I think the biggest, I, the biggest variable. Just a moment. The biggest variable that we still have not talked about, that still, that the news is not out, is earnings, and the earnings numbers, the estimates still have not come down substantially. Yeah, you know, we've everyone's numbers in terms of. Where they expect Fed funds to be, where they you know, expect other you know, treasury rates to be, those numbers have kind of caught up to uh, you know, to a consensus. I'm seeing a cons- more of a consensus across the board of of where they believe you know, Fed funds is going to be somewhere now between 35 and 4% at some point in the future. We don't know how many raises it's going to take. We don't know if there's going to be a pause or two in there. But that seems to be the consensus now where we're headed on Fed funds, which to me means that the ten-year Treasury has got has, has got to be headed up also above four. Yes, Kyle. But but I would also
1: say though, Jeff, is that yes, the consensus right now is for the Fed funds rate their neutral rate to be between three and a half and 4%. Now on Wednesday's fed meeting, they said that they were looking at 3.8% by 2023, but I just want to remind everybody that the federal reserve last year was saying that they weren't going to be raising rates until 2023. So it's all data driven. So we can be talking about three and a half to four percent as, you know, kind of their neutral rate. But that can change in a matter of months, and it's all going to be predicated on the data from the inflation numbers. I mean, that's what it's all going to come down to is the CPI, Consumer Price Index, and the pain that the consumer is feeling across this country and the Fed getting a handle on inflation. So that neutral rate of 35 to 4% can change very quickly. But that's how it stands right now today as we're recording this show. Is there something you want to add right before we go to break, Jeff? No. Okay. Well, (laughs) let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Just wanted to do a quick bit of housekeeping for any listeners of the, the Money Wise program this weekend. We've been having a little technical difficulties with uh, with our equipment, A little computer gremlins that we have been unsuccessful at uh, correcting, so if you're hearing gaps during the show, it is from those uh, electrical uh, connection gremlins with our internet, so we just want to apologize for that, but getting back to the the weekend recap and before we went to break we were just talking about the fed you know they had the fed meeting on wednesday they talked about their neutral rate where they would like to see the federal funds rate going between three and a half to four percent they were projecting in the meeting on wednesday that it'd be at 3.8 percent by the end of 2023 but the point i was making before the break is it's all going to be data dependent because We've talked on this program that the Federal Reserve last year was not expecting to raise rates until 2023. Then all of a sudden, boom, here's a huge inflation print for the consumer price index. And now they're, they're inflation fighters and they're having to raise interest rates faster and further than they anticipated nine, 10, 11 months ago. It's all going to be data driven. And so that's where it stands right now. And Jeff, to your point, if they do go to that neutral rate, where is the ten-year Treasury going to be?
0: And how does that interest rate figure into the computation of fair value for stocks? And and that's the point that I yes, Joe. So you well, want to no, say
2: something to Jeff's point, talking about earnings? Talk about earnings in in, in the the ten-year treasury in general. One bright spot that Kyle and I were talking about Friday was Adobe, which we have in our portfolio. It beat on the bottom, on the top line, and the bottom line, and its forward guidance was very murky. I will just say, what would have happened to that particular stock three or four weeks ago? It would have been taken to the woodshed, and that's a pretty large holding. I would think in a lot of portfolios, and it didn't have a, a negative impact. Uh, on on the index but well done, well I think one, a lot of it one thing I would like to say about
0: that is in the, and the and just and I, and I maybe what you, maybe what the reason why it didn 't get taken out to the woodshed Joe is because it 's already been taken out to the woodshed all year long because it 's down thirty six percent so maybe maybe just a maybe some of these bigger cap tech names uh that are widely held that have profits and have been in business for a long time, I'm not talking about some of these other stocks out there, that maybe somewhere between minus 30 and minus 40% down for the year, all the bad news has been priced in. Maybe. That's a big maybe. But, it, 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 but my Microsoft, joke, hold on. Did, did Jeff just, my, oh. just say that? <laughs> okay. But I did. I, uh, I did. But let me continue. Apple's not down 30% from from the beginning of the year. Microsoft is not down that much. I don't think Google's down that much. I think uh, uh, Meta, because it's now called Meta officially. Amazon,
2: which we don't own anymore. Amazon,
0: Amazon, I believe, is down 30%, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, but we don't own it anymore. So maybe, maybe, you know, yes, the NASDAQ is down, as I said at the beginning of the show, 31 31% for the year. But the big contributors to the NASDAQ are not down thirty thirty plus percent. So you I mean you could you could well, Microsoft's now down 30%. They're, not down they're, 30%. But they're,
1: they're all very close. They're all between 28% and 29%. So they're, for all intents and purposes, from their 52-week high down around that 30%. But, Jeff, to your point, yeah, they could maybe see another 5 to 10% down once their earnings come out. But, again, these are the cornerstone technology uh, names in the NASDAQ, cornerstone tech names in the S&P 500, in the Dow, there's These are cornerstones, and as we know from just the analysis we've done in large-cap growth mutual funds, exchange-traded funds – These names, a lot of these names you've just listed are right within the top five, at least the top ten holdings with very large positions of all of these funds that own them as the
2: cornerstones of technology. My my point being is also that the PE on Adobe is well above the S&P average, and it wasn't taken Mm -hmm. to the woodshed, which in the past, you know, we would have seen that particular uh, holding probably be sold off a lot more than I think it was down 1.18% on friday but i but (laughs) i think
1: but i think joe to to add to your point is and like to jeff what jeff said is that a lot of this negativity and maybe downtrodden forward guidance has been for the most part possibly priced in to these stocks but just because that's down 30 or 40 doesn't mean it can't go down more Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but so uh, so here's my, my my opinion is is that we don't have the earnings news uh, earnings estimates have not come down that much. Uh, yes, the markets—you know, the S and P's down 23 percent year to date. Maybe that 23 percent, most of that is uh, been pri- pricing in, in in interest rates and inflation lasting longer and higher than than uh, originally anticipated. But I just don't think the the bad news to come in earnings is fully priced in, and maybe when it gets priced in, is when we get this overshoot, which we typically do on the upside and the downside, and we get you know with the S and P maybe it gets to that twenty that thirty four hundred number and overshoots it a little bit, and you could then start to say, okay, well there's there's an entry point. To me, right now, unless there's some huge down downward momentum that occurs here in these last, like what, nine trading days left, something like that in the quarter, maybe eight, if we have some huge down, we get to 3,400 on the S&P by the end of the month, yeah, you could probably buy, buy a few things, but not, not have those earnings numbers out, knowing that, If you get some bad earnings news in some of these big name brand headline grabbing, everybody owns them in their portfolio names, maybe you won't get the markets down very much. Maybe you have an Adobe type reaction if a Microsoft or an Apple uh, reports good earnings but lowers their outlook. Uh, for the for the next quarter, or, you know, does something that they do, haven't do, done, and who knows how long, and the stock doesn't move very much on the downside, they can say, okay, well maybe you've got a nearer term bottom, but it may not be an absolute bottom. But it, you know, buying stocks down thirty plus percent off its high, uh, as we've got some statistics, some more statistics that show, it's a pretty safe bet. In a relatively short period of time, that that investment is going to pay off. Mm-hmm. It's going to so, pay off.
1: So going into the uh, so what you're really saying, Jeff, is that the kind of, in your opinion, the the last shoe left to be dropped would be earnings. The, the earnings, one hundred percent. Okay. 100%. So so if if you're a CEO of a company and you're we're coming into the second quarter earnings in July. In this kind of condition with a high inflation, Fed raising rates, trying to combat inflation, I mean, I don't anticipate many companies come out and giving Rosie Ford guidance. They would maybe maintain their guidance. Most of them, if, if, if your job is to outperform expectations, wouldn't this be an opportunity to lower the bar? because you kind of have a built-in excuse with the Fed fighting inflation and raising interest rates. So I would anticipate a lot of the second quarter earnings reports when it comes to forward guidance, that it's going to be either in line with current estimated guidance or they're going to be dialing it back. I don't foresee too many companies elevating forward guidance, do you? I, I would don't. Think
0: they would, I would think the vast majority of them would be reducing guidance. I mean, exactly. Like you Lower said, 70, if you're low. now – if you're that's an Apple, right. if you're an Apple or a Microsoft that's down twenty five plus percent year to date, wouldn't you just go ahead and just lower some guidance a little bit? I mean, sure. if 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 the stocks react like Adobe um, and don't move down very much, but Adobe is was down ten percent more than you know Apple or Microsoft are right now, so do you get the do you get the washout? of the big, mega, everybody-owns-it-cap names with some with some earnings guidance down, and that happens, what, mid-July? Because, see, we, we don't have a lot of news between now and, and, earnings. and, and earnings season. We have PCE on the very last day of the quarter. I mean, you don't have any time to do anything with that.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: there's, there's not going to – I mean, I, I think everybody would have already made all their moves by June the 30th. So, so – There's just this big vacuum of news, and to me, the the trend seems to be more down than up. When we come back, I'll continue.
1: All right, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 Two one six two. If you like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streams where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, if you're just tuning in this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing our recap of Wall Street from last week, and we were just talking about kind of the The last, really the next huge drop when it comes to stock market valuations, and that is what second quarter earnings picture is going to be looking like. And what kind of guidance, what kind of earning guidance are the companies going to be giving as we get into second quarter earnings in the middle part of July? And I think we're all in agreement that this is an opportunity for companies to lower their guidance, lower their bar, so in future quarters, it's easier for them to hurdle over that. But we're also focusing on the big cap tech names, and whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Alphabet, which is Google um, or even Apple being down close to around thirty percent off their fifty two week high, and these companies being cornerstones of the tech market, you know how much more downside is in but but here 's the other question I had for you, Jeff you know we 're thinking to ourselves, well most companies, as they 're going into the second quarter, lower your bar as far as forward guidance on from an earning standpoint. Don't you think that there's other asset managers, there's other professionals in the industry that are thinking that these companies are going to be doing that anyways and it's already priced in to this down 28, down 29, down 30% from their 52-week high? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that expectation already be
0: kind of priced in, in a sense? I have no idea because I don't know how much they're going to lower expectations. And just because they lower expectations, uh, this these next quarterly report in July doesn't mean they lower them again in October. I mean we know what the Fed is trying to do. The the Fed as I said before, cars are too expensive, houses are too expensive, employees are too expensive, interest rates are too low, inflation's too high, and to some extent in their mind the stock market was too expensive. Well, we've come a long way uh in getting the the stock market less expensive. I don't think that we've got it down to what I would, you know, based on the statistics I've looked at, I don't think valuations, uh, are, are where they should be considered, you know, considering where the expectations are, where we're going to be in interest rates in the next three, four, six months out. And those, and those, and those expectations could end up, could end up changing. You know, I do believe this, and I think I said this to to you earlier, I may have said it both to you you and Joe earlier, that if these Fed rate increases, if we want to hang all of the issues with the markets being down this year on expectations for interest rates and inflation, if the Fed does, quote, unquote, too much damage, let's say we get the, the markets down 40%, off their fifty-two week high in the next two months, does, does the Fed come out and say, "Okay, we're going to pause"? You know, we're going to pause for a moment. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that if if things started to get out of hand. You know, we haven't said anything about. There's been a lot of mumblings about Bitcoin and you know what happens if it goes below twenty thousand. You know, I like a lot of analysts believe that there's not enough money in Bitcoin to really have any sort of of contagion effect. But does do any of us know? Do any of us know if there's any any you know, is there a hedge fund out there that's you know overly exposed, that's leveraged to the hilt, that has bank loans? You know, we don't know. We don't know if there's, you know, anything out there like that. So far it's been a orderly collapse in bitcoin i'm just i'm
2: sorry we'll call it yeah it,
3: it's a collapse. yeah, yeah. You know.
2: well it, it, i mean i know three arrows it's called, which it's was called it three arrows. in 2022 that's what Bitcoin's yeah. done well that's
1: the with, with speaking of a hedge fund involving with cryptocurrency you know three arrows even if they did have any kind of bank loans i mean we all know that from a capitalization standpoint the financial banking system is probably the strongest it's been this century because they have so much high capital reserve requirements of all the rules and laws that were changed post the financial crisis. So even if one of these crypto hedge funds, I think three arrows, I think that's what it's called, is is one of them that's, that's looking to possibly get bailed out in a sense. But I think something that's crypto Collapse is possibly some of these crypto lending institutions like Celsius could possibly be coming out and being seen as some type of a Ponzi scheme or some type yeah. of a fraud. I mean, nobody yeah. knows, and I'm not saying that they are, but I, I'm, I'm, when I see something that here, let us borrow your bitcoins, we're going to pay you almost 19% interest. And we're going to be doing whatever they're doing with it. I mean, we don't understand that market. And honestly, we've never been fans of cryptocurrency by any stretch of the imagination. I found it interesting this past week that Bill Gates, and and I've anytime anyone's ever asked me, prospective client, client, friends on the street, for years have been asking me what I thought about cryptocurrency. And I've always said it's a greater full theory. Well, guess who's quoted of saying that exact quote this past week? Bill Gates. He said it's a greater full theory, meaning someone is willing to pay more for something that you have to sell them, and, and what it's and they think what it's worth. But what's happened in Bitcoin is that there has been. Significant wealth destruction of people who have been all in on Bitcoin, which we have always said on this program is nothing more than a speculative bet. It is not an investment. It's not an alternative asset class. It's strictly a speculative bet where you're looking for a greater fool who wants to buy what you have to sell at a greater price than what you paid for. It. And that's it. And that's yep. it. It is, it is not well, for serious money and has zero fundamentals.
2: I want to, I want to transition a little bit, but I want to talk about. One of the things we talk about Bitcoin or any one particular stock or certain investments we'll always advise our clients never have more than five percent in any kind of any one stock or in this case bitcoin even gold there's a lot of different things you could talk about you know and and well in ETFs, you in, in ETF,
1: can go more than five percent because they're diversified instruments similar to a mutual fund that trade like a stock. During market hours. So you could put more than 5% in an exchange traded fund that's highly diversified. But yes, Joe, you're right. We're talking about Don't a single put,
2: security here. Correct.
1: That? That's right. In a single security, you never want to own more than 5% in any one individual security. That has been the golden rule, hard and fast rule. Dad talked about it going back 16 years on this program. Never own more than 5% and, and in I any one individual security. never want to hear talk about it
2: being a potential hedge for inflation again or i'm probably yeah, just gonna hang a good up point. the
1: phone <laughs> no that's a so. good point i know that's an absolutely good point or the fact that it is it, it doesn't have uh, i i know i'm getting a little esoterical i'm talking about r square but sorry uh, that's the yeah, analyst well, yeah, yeah of thing. Sorry. i'm cutting <laughs> you off what, there what, no, what, yeah. what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is the connection like it's it's if the market's going down bitcoin's going up it's a counter play to the market. Um, we spend
0: all the time we need to talk about yeah. cryptocurrencies. Oh, I know we've singled out oh, Bitcoin. No, no crypto, the, no NFTs,
2: know. none of that. Dude. None of that. All right. How's that working so, right now? Oh, how are SPACs working? Okay. Let's just while we're while we're running the bases, SPACs, NFTs and, and uh, uh Bitcoin. We could just throw those out the, throw those out the door for a little while. So
0: so rolling back to what I was talking, we were talking the question that Kyle had asked me about at the beginning of this segment about, you know, have earnings, you know, have earnings expectations been priced in or expectations that there's going to be a lot of er- negative earnings revisions priced in. And, you know, I'm in the camp that I don't think they have, but these negative, these earnings revisions is not a one quarter animal here. We're, the Fed is actively trying to slow the economy. That is what they. That's the only only thing that they can do to to slow the economy. The only tool they have is balance sheet reduction, quantitative tightening, which just started on Wednesday, by the way, and changing the federal funds rate. And so, the slowdown in the economy is not just going to happen in the month of July. It's going to happen in the month of July. August, September, October, November, let's keep going. This is not just a one-month affair. This is a multi-month affair. So even if we have this bottom, you know, we have these earnings revisions and we have uh, this another spike down, like the spike down we've had, Uh, here in the last two weeks, a lot of these big cap tech names we've been talking about have had double digit spikes down in the last two weeks. If they do it again, say on these earnings revisions, they're going to be putting out the middle of July. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's it. That's the bottom and everything's safe and the waters are clear and you can put go back to 60, 70% invested in stocks because this is going to take months to work out and we're going to test bottoms and we're going to rally off of them and we're going to test and we're going to rally and we're going to test and we're going to rally and it's going to, it's going to take many 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 months to work out this is you got to get into 2023 before we get all the the fed's going to do what they're going to do we get all these earnings revisions we get the economy slowed down
2: and we see where we're at but that's so, not until the first quarter of next year. You're in just my basically. Opinion. I'm going to summarize what you just said. So basically, we're, we're not going to have any fun, any fun till the feds done. That's right. No fun till the feds done.
1: All right. Well, let's take our next next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys, will be back after this. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So I did a lot of talking on this weekend's Moneywise program about earnings, guidance, Federal Reserve, I mean, I would say, and Jeff, to your point about earnings even going into the third and fourth quarter, I would think that by the time we get to October, we will have seen a reduction in consumer price index. We would see a lot of the – some of the effects really take hold with what the Federal Reserve has been doing this year as far as raising interest rates because we're already hearing – mortgage applications at 22-year lows. I just do research on Realtor.com seeing price cuts of homes all over the San Antonio area. So prices are getting cut. We're hearing homes taking longer to sell. With the Federal Reserve raising interest rates by 75 basis points or three-quarters of 1%, which they haven't done in 28 years, that I read recently could be pricing almost 15 million people out of buying a home with just the increase in mortgage rates. So that will be slowing down. We know that there's an abundance of inventory on the apparel side of things. So there's a lot of discounts, cutting of prices. Joe went shopping this past week, buying some shorts like I did. So got the same deal at Gap as I did. You know, I heard, talked to a client that lives outside of Houston, and he said, you know, Walmart has got Sony televisions at more than 50% off flat screen. So, there, there has been this kind of oversupply in anticipation of consumer demand, and now the consumer demand has been slowing down. So now here come the price cuts. So this does take time to trickle into the economy and to affect the consumer price index number. So I think by the time we get to October, we will have seen that number with maybe a six-handle, maybe a five-handle on it on the CPI side. But something else I just want to remind all of our listeners, when Paul Volcker back in the 80s, went through the process of raising rates as hard and as fast as he did, the The Fed target, he was kind of happy with a 4% inflation rate. Now, our Federal Reserve today, their target is 2%. I personally think that the Federal Reserve has kind of got to rechange their thinking and maybe adjust their mandate to maybe it's not two percent, maybe it's two and a half, maybe it's three, maybe it's three and a half percent. Because if Paul Volcker was happy with four percent back in the eighties, maybe the Federal Reserve is going to have to start thinking about adjusting what their
0: mandate is. And I think that's yeah, I think that could very possibly happen. But that might be. Uh three or four Fed meetings from now, but here's the other thing that all the things you just said that i I agree with Kyle. you're talking about slowing economy, you know all this slowing demand. What does that do for earnings and companies if there's less demand for their product, would that not necessarily mean lower sales would that not necessarily mean uh lower earnings? It just depends. What, what's, what No, 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 no. If the economy is going to slow, that means that that companies are going to be making less money. And so now you've got to call into question the whole price to earnings ratio computation. Now, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Maybe you looked at it today, Kyle. Are we still in the 19s or so on that uh, particular I mean, on website somebody, you look at?
1: Yeah. Actually, it's in the 18s.
0: Okay, it's in the 18s. So it's come down to the 18s. More. Because we we were down, you know, 6% this week. I'm rounding it off as 5.8. 18.57. 18.57 to
1: be exact as of Friday's close.
0: Because prices have come down. What happens if that E comes down? If the E comes down, then that that PE number goes back up again if the price doesn't come down, right? That's that's the way the math works. So that's why I, I still think there's another leg to this stool. To go down
1: well, I've also and, just read I'm sorry, go ahead, Jeff. that was it well i i've just i I have read several articles about companies that were of course taking advantage of this high level of demand when the supply chains were at their most constraint points where They were taking advantage by elevating their prices above what they normally would be charging to take advantage of that consumer demand. So maybe even though we're starting to see a lot of these price cuts, maybe these price cuts are more in line with where these prices were pre-pandemic because supply chains are starting to free up. And the economy is slowing down. So we are going to start to see these take hold and start to see a lower CPI print as this data comes out. And remember, all of this data is is rear looking. It's it's looking in the rear view. It's all
0: trailing data. It's not forward. And the argument that I've always it's had the only in, data that's reported, whether it's forward true. or backwards looking, the, the, the focus on this number is as intense as it's ever been in our careers. We've never totally had agree. this number uh have such laser focus. And if it, if it comes off two or three-tenths of a percent, that ain't going to cut it. I agree. A I month, agree. From, a month and, from
1: now. And I agree with everything that you just said. But I just want to remind all of our listeners that the stock market historically is a forward-looking mechanism. It's looking out six, eight months down the road. Now, do I think the Fed is going to be successful at bringing the economy in? For a soft landing, well, history shows they don't have a, a large, a high batting average when it comes to that. So the jury is still out on that. But but I agree that they are very much
0: intensely focused on that number. Something you want to add? Yes, yes. The market is a forward-looking animal, but right now I think there's two sets of uh, blinders. You can't see. You don't know. Nobody. I mean, it is it is so murky. It is murky, I mean, but I, I will, it is so murky right now. It's like, yeah, I'd like to look out six months into the future, but I think I've got two two blinders over my eyes. I really don't know. And Joe, th- it's to, all, to, me, to me, it's oh, all about the
2: I do want to say something. The, what, what we're hearing and what I'm digesting is exactly what we're seeing every day. NBC and the Talking Heads, that there's, there is, to your point, it is murky, there's not a lot of clarity, and there's always two points of view on this. And that's part, there's no consensus with the analysts. There's no consensus sometimes with Davidson Capital Management. So you have to have a collaborative effort when you're putting your portfolio together. That's what you have to do. You have to have some balance. It kind of be half right, half wrong, if you will. But well, I just and, wanted and that, to say that that's in summary, that's what you all have yeah, and, talked and about I mean, the whole that, segment. That,
1: I mean, that's key. I mean, as everyone, long-time listeners of the Money Wise program know, we are actual money managers managing real client assets in real time, and we have to come together as a consensus to make decisions in our clients' portfolios because we are actively managed. And from an allocation standpoint and a moderate allocation, we're still hovering right around 31 32% allocation to stocks with plenty of powder dry to take advantage of the buying opportunities on the other side of this. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. But when we come back from the news, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise Wise program and continuing with investor education. But before I go out, just want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Dad, we love you. Wish you could have been on the show this week. <clears throat> but with that, you're listening to MoneyWise Wise. With Davidson Capital Management, your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 and if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise
0: at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome.
1: So now that we're in our second hour this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know – uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or any, any shape and form. And so the reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is.
0: The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word... The G word. ...as part of the marketing pitch. hmm When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government u s government bonds bills and notes that's right that's the only guaranteed investment anything else is nothing more than a promise it's a and really it's like you said jeff it's a sales pitch
1: it's in the sales pitch because that the g word as we call it the get word guaranteed gives the potential buyer, that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's, that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable. And it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid Annuity, which is starting to show up at
0: uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product, mm-hmm. is on the radio as 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is.
1: I'd probably say in some instances it's more. Jeff. You
0: know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we, we hear, as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity-indexed annuity-based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others, and uh, we know of at least... Two or three in the San Antonio market to do nothing but pitch equity and extenuities. Mm -hmm. And we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity-indexed annuities. And
1: every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity-indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity-indexed annuity? An EIA, for short has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No earners,
0: they're 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 basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety. As a, in, in, in return, and in return, you know, CDs are back. If you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance, mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program. If so, if that bank should fail, so. So with this in mind, knowing that equity indexed annuities were
1: created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low, no matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind, these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at DavidsonCap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And, again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are and we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we will stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products um... so let's get back to the eia now equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return or rate of interest and an interest rate linked to a market index uh... now what is the guaranteed minimum rate well typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1 to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1 to 3%. Now remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty which will reduce or eliminate any returns, and I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars, and you're pre-59.5, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, And you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products and that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you you will get up and walk away from the table so how good is this quote-unquote guarantee as jeff and i said earlier guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it so it's not a guarantee it's a promise And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the st- in the state of Texas, if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business, is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, six hundred thousand, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you When they're selling you this product, and I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now,
3: you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No,
1: the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, in partic- fear
3: has got higher.
1: And yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster... Equity indexed annuity sales because they can pray, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can pray on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a
0: flat-out lie. And, and here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch: if you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, entails the insurance company loses. I want you – that doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the market go, goes up 10%? Well, you get 10%. And, and if the market goes down 10%, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be 1% to 3%. So you, you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch.
1: And, and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch Mr. Miss Client, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's. I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part. They will the go. Page.
0: They don't go quite that far. But, but the, the. Oh, really? I. I you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making You're a little more. Dramatic. A you may be little, making really. a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission, because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuity, so how are the
1: equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500, and... The index linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in? So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that
0: sounds good. So if the s and is up 10%, then
1: well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about a 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example – you have a cap of say 4%. So the market goes up 10, the S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying right. this it's because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you, it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. it's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps, they pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than one a year.
0: year. One year. One year less.
1: Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Moneywise. At DavidsonCap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, and basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great, but then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, per basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a two percent rate of return per month so if the market was up five percent in one month you might only get two um, but again before we went to the bottom of the hour break what i have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line and then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And, again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. That, and that is a sales pitch. That I, is a sales tactic.
0: And I don't mean to steal any into your thunder, no, okay. but there is, there is another teaser that draws clients in.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium and and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle it is an insurance policy and we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while so when you're buying an annuity the money you're putting into it is called a premium just like if you were buying a life insurance policy Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity Why would an insurance company, if this product is so good. All the upside, none none of the the downside. downside, Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium." So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing.
0: That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will so go inside on good, the dot alone would get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any, any, any mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses, but you must stay in that investment for the entire. Well, there's different, there's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the investing, but, but I can, you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. And when I say extended period of time and we're talking 10 years or more.
1: Yeah. And we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second, uh, you know, and again, as I've I've said to anyone thinking about buying these, if they have to entice you with free money, if this thing is really that good as it's being presented, they wouldn't have to give you anything. Well, if
0: they were really that good, Kyle, why would we even need to be buying stocks? And why would we need to be buying exactly. bonds? And why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds? And why would all these other organizations in the United States that are selling uh, that are managing people's money, why would, why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? All we got to do is
3: stick it in these equity index news. we going to get all the upside and on the downside and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and, you, and you bring up
1: a good point
3: uh, that of the
1: 20 largest insurance companies in, in the country that 19 of them avoid it Like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11 foot pole, let alone a 10 foot pole. And most equity indexed annuity providers are smaller lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the Met MetLifes of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these New types Life. of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but... Uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Inv- listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally
0: had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but... Haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well,
1: in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any... Financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the state board of insurance, and just
0: to kind of for some of our listeners that uh, weren't listening to us in two thousand five, two thousand and six, we actually turned into the state board of insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities, and, uh,
1: and, one show, and in one, one show, in one in one hour, they had twenty six noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two PhD mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators, where they have found that approximately twenty percent of premium Paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force.
3: And you keep saying EIA. Equity, equity index annuities. annuities.
1: So if you're given so if you're buying an equity index annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, Well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? you have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover a huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things now equity indexed annuities again because it's not an investment product they can pay double digit commissions to the people that sell them why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents why do you
0: think they run radio shows all over the state all over the country because they pay big commissions that's right um
1: and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender pe- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple equity indexed annuities, and what I have found, running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962, and I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold returns ranging anywhere from one5 to 2% annualized per year.
0: This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term – don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD or, right. or a government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their, uh, the extremely poor liquidity
1: that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity. In equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general, only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal. Uh, Anything above that, particularly in equity indexed annuities, you can be hit with substantial rear end commissions or rear end surrender charges, as we call them, or contingent deferred sales charges, is another way uh, to describe them. So, again, they have a real lack of liquidity. Now, as I was talking, about how extremely complicated these products are. You know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out, It it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and and opaque when it comes to to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up – for the annuity you're trapped there's nothing else you can do if you want out of this thing you could possibly get hit with a 20 plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing uh you know and what again doing my research earlier this week i ran across an insurance company out of iowa that in the state of california there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of you all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s, and the fact that an equity-indexed annuity provider, in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty. That's pretty significant. I would say, wouldn't you say, Dad? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually, I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And and really, what the the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity indexed annuities, and that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company. Was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one hour or two hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity-indexed annuities. And he's known for the catch-a-predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator.
3: It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. salesperson. That's what got him into it.
1: And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years this ago. This was several years ago. And, again, any long-time listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms. But equity-indexed annuities is what really... Gets me fired up because they are so worthless.
3: Well, they're, they're in my the blue plague of all, yeah, of, all of all that products that have ever come across.
1: And and you know we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these, but when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches, and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there
0: been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity-indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X, have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago?
1: No. in, in, In fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs Got an EIA that's had since around two thousand six, since two thousand six, his performance return up fifteen percent, moderately allocated, asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed, close to ninety percent after all fees after all fees and expenses. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. When you annualize that number, when you annualize that number out, again, they're making just above what a CD would return. But I, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family limited partnerships.
0: The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets (laughs) from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's fr- right. from from a lawsuit. That's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah. That's right. You don't and come to, you, 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 you don't come to, to us asking about a heart problem. That's
1: right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I uh, I mean, really when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor, pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any, any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities, and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products. And, you know, I wanted to, to thank all of our listeners to, to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for, for, for nobody. I mean, they're, they're no good, Period. And there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.